0: the Following God, series of studies published by AMG. I hope that you'll enjoy listening to Dr. Wayne Barber.
1: Would you turn with me this morning to 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10 as we continue in this little series entitled To Each His Own. This is part seven of that series. To Each His Own, and that began back in verse eight, and it's going through verse 10. We'll finish that up this morning, that portion of chapter 12. To Each his own. Today we come to the last grouping of manifestations that the Holy Spirit led Paul to give us in chapter 12. Now, as you know by now, this sounds like a broken record, but you know it by now. There are two Greek words for another. Every time I think of Brother Spiros, I think of two Greek words, two Greek words. And there are two Greek words. I just love the man and I love the way he says it. There are two Greek words for, the, for another. And when they're used together in the same text, they're very significantly different. And this is why it's important to know those. The first word, translated another, is alos, and it's found in verse 8, and it's used to link the two gifts, the two equipping gifts that I call them: the word of wisdom, the word of knowledge. Links them together. These are speaking gifts according to the scriptures that God gives to those in the body to speak the word of God and to edify and to build up the body of Christ. The word is allos and it it means another of the same kind. It links those two gifts together. The second word for another is the word heteros and it means to another of a different kind. In other words, you're shifting gears. You have two alike and it refers not only to the gift but to the people who have the gifts and then it shifts gears and then you have a different category all by itself. It's found in verse nine, introduces it. It says, and to another faith. That introduces a different category. I call that category the extravagant gifts or the extraordinary gifts. These are gifts that are five of them linked together, set apart from the equipping gifts in verse eight. There is the gift of faith, which is bound to it, the gifts of healings, plural, with aloes, Bound to it is effecting of miracles, plural, Prophecy, and then distinguishing of spirits, which is also in the plural. And we've already been through these. These are the extraordinary gifts that God chooses to to give from time to time. Literally, I'd rather call them manifestations, because that's really what Paul's addressing here in chapter 12. And then we come to the grouping that he'll give us today, found in verse 10. And it starts right in the middle of verse 10. And that little word heteros again, and I call these the evangelistic gifts. He says in verse 10b, to another various kinds of tongues and to another allos of the same kind, the interpretation of tongues. Now, many of you have been wondering and waiting patiently since January the 24th, 1997, when we started with 1 Corinthians chapter one, verse one, to find out what I'm gonna say about tongues. Well, you're gonna find out, aren't you? I'm gonna gonna disappoint many of you though. Do you realize, if you've studied, you already know this. You realize Paul does not address the problem of tongues in chapter 12. He addresses the problem of tongues in Corinth in chapter 14. So I'm gonna disappoint you because we're not gonna go everywhere you want me to go this morning. It's not in the flow of the context. And you know our pledge is word for word, line upon line. That's the way we're walking through these passages of scripture. However. We can, as we wade into these two gifts, however, understand them a little bit better this morning. Now, we've got to remember the purpose of why Paul even puts chapter 12 in there. He's not teaching gifts. By the way, it wasn't chapter 12. Somebody else did that. It was just one long flow. But why is is it there? He's not teaching gifts. He's correcting error. He's correcting error. Something is amiss in Corinth. It has to do with people speaking and teaching. It has to do with extraordinary things. And it also has to do with some languages that are being spoken and they're saying that it's influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. But what is happening in Corinth is the language they're speaking is not a known understandable language. It's an ecstatic gibberish and that's where we'll have to wait until chapter 14 to see it more clearly. They were speaking in a tongue, but the gift here that's mentioned is tongues plural, and that's very significant to our understanding this morning. You see, it had to do with the influence of the oracles of Delphi, which was only 30 miles from Corinth. Now, if you leave this out, if you leave this piece out, and we've already covered in the first part of chapter 12, that he points them back to their former idolatry. He points them back to something that lured them to the idolatry of that day. You remember the oracles of Delphi, they were women self-proclaimed prophetesses that said they can get in touch with the pagan divine spirits or little d in divine. And what it was, it was at the temple of Apollo. Apollo was a pagan uh, Greek temple there. And it was over in Delphi. They would have inside the inner sanctum a tripod. Every time I think of that word tripod, I think of a deer stand. I don't know why it is. It just comes into my mind, fleets right out. But they would sit up on a tripod and they would get into a frenzy It was emotional. It was ecstatic. And suddenly they would begin to blurt out words that absolutely were senseless. And the interesting thing here is the poor people of that day were so lured to it, they would line up for miles. As you read the history of this, as you study this, they had to have three at the time Paul wrote this letter. They had to have three women to take care of the crowds. They had to work in shifts. And people would get in lines because they wanted answers to questions in life. They wanted somehow to be in touch with the divine. Such a sad picture, but it's the same thing that's going on in our world today. Conyers, Georgia, a few weeks ago, there were 100,000 people down there to hear a vision that the Virgin Mary was supposed to have given to a woman there in Conyers, Georgia. So people are still in that same mindset. It's like a person trying to call their psychic hotline or a person who reads their horoscope. It's the same type of thing that was luring The Corinthians, especially the believers, before they got saved. And the people would have a little slate that they would write their questions on. And they would take them up and hand them to somebody. And if they got chosen that day, then they would take it into one of these women and the woman would go into this frenzy and begin to speak this gibberish of a language never spoken on earth. And they would have interpreters, so-called, and they would write it into prose and they would give them the answer. Can you imagine those pitiful people thinking they'd gotten in touch with the divine, and they walk away with a little slate, and on the slate was an answer that meant absolutely nothing. After standing in lines for hours upon hours upon hours, that's what was going on in Corinth. Now obviously, and you can't know where I'm coming from just this morning, because chapter 14, has gotta be taken into consideration, And if I lean too much into it, I'm gonna miss what I wanna say this morning. But obviously this practice had gotten into the church. And somehow they were saying that this ecstatic language, this language that was never known or spoken, that they were speaking, perhaps in a prayer language or whatever else they were doing, whatever they were doing with it, they were saying was influenced by the Holy Spirit of God. And what Paul is trying to do is put their feet back on the ground. He's trying to turn them right side up. They're so upside down. This is a sick, anemic, ignorant, and immature church. And he's trying to put some balance back into it as he approaches this subject. So we're not gonna go that far with it today. And I'm sure some of you are a little bit disappointed, but at least we can clarify what the gift of tongues is or the manifestation of tongues, along with it, the interpretation of tongues. Now there's some ground rules. Already in verse three, we've established something we must go back and review. Go back to verse three of chapter 12. This has got to be there. This has got to be there. And you know, when you read something in English and you say, well, it doesn't say it in English. Well, for friend, that's why when you translate something from one language to another, it's very difficult when there are two or three words in one language and only one word in another. It says in verse three, therefore, I make known to you. Paul, that word known means you wouldn't know it any other way unless I would show you right now. You're so upside down, you wouldn't get this from anybody else. But Paul says, I'm going to tell you that no one, and that no one means absolutely no one. Speaking, in other words, speaking there is the word that's laleo. In its root form, it means making a noise. And you say, now what's the significance, Wayne? Well, there are two words for speaking. Laleo means to make a noise. Anyone making a noise. That's why it can be translated to speak. However, you can't translate it just making a noise. So he would be saying, no one making a noise under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God. Now the word Holy Spirit does not have the definite article behind it, which means according to the full character of how the Holy Spirit has and will always work. Anyone making a noise, influenced, by the Holy Spirit of God, he said, says. Now that word says is a different word and it's so significant. If you don't know the languages, you don't understand this. And some people say the languages aren't important. <laughs> the word lego is used here. That's the verb form of logos. Logos always means intelligent, understandable word of integrity. This is the word that was assigned to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the living word. And lego is the verb form of that. And so what he's saying is anyone making a noise under the influence of the full character of the Holy Spirit of God speaks intelligently with understanding and with integrity. Now that's a ground rule. You don't break that ground rule. Now that is further brought out in our text today. What he says today is to another various kinds of tongues in verse 10. Now, what in the world does that phrase mean? First of all, if you have a pencil, the word various is written in italics if you have a good translation, so you might wanna circle it and say, oops, not in the text. When it's in italics, that means it's not in the Greek text, it's implied, some translator stuck the word there. However, it is implied, and I think it's very important that it's implied because you see, there's more than one language. Would you agree with that? There's more than one language, there's English, Of course, people say when they come to America, there's English, there's Southern. <laughs> you know, it seems almost when you go to Deep South, it's a different language, even though we call it English. There's more than one language. The literal Greek phrase is "gēnē glasun. "Gēnē glasun. "Gēnē" is a form of gnos. It's the word we get for a kind or family. That's why it says various kinds of tongues. The word kinds there is the word "gēnē." It means the family of something. We get the word genealogy from it. It's that which something has been derived from. The word glosun, translated tongues, is the word glosase. That's in the plural there. You see, what was happening in Corinth was, and I don't want to go too far with this, is glossa, singular. Glosase is language plural here. The basic meaning of the word is the physical organ called the tongue. Uh, you know good well, that's not what he's talking about. However, that's the basic meaning. If you take it a step further, it's that which enables us to utter words which people can understand. In other words, a step further than that, uh, the Lord glosun or glosses refers to the languages that we speak. Now, we speak English in here, we understand one another. If somebody walked into this room and they only spoke Spanish, they would not understand, but they spoke another language. So, Guinea assume. In the book of the Revelation the word glosa is used seven times to refer to languages and it's very clear and very specific. It's used in conjunction with the word tribe, with the phrase a nation, and it's also used with the word people. So you have a tribe, people, and a nation. All of those are associated with this word "glossa" tongues. Look with me at just one illustration in Revelation chapter seven and verse nine. Very clear, that it's language, a spoken, understandable language. Revelation seven and verse nine. <clears throat> like I said, it's seven different times, but here, just one instance of it, Revelation seven and verse nine. He says, after these things, I looked and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count from every, now watch, every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb, clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hand. Now that word tongues there in the plural has to be languages. It can't be anything else. The different ethnic languages that people would speak depending on where they were from. Glossa, therefore, can mean the organ of the mouth, but it doesn't mean that. It means the language that this organ enables us to speak so that we might communicate with somebody else. Now, if you go back to your text and you put the two words together. He says, various kinds, gne, of tongues, glosun, or from the word glosase, it's, it's the word in the plural there. Now, gne, glosun, families of understandable spoken languages. So again, one more time, various kinds of tongues are various or many families of spoken, understandable, communicable Languages. Now you may understand, ask the question, what do you mean families of languages? Oh, listen, don't you know that there are different families of languages? There's the Germanic family of languages. There's the Latin family of languages. There's the Hispanic family of languages, the Semitic family of languages. They're not all exactly the same, but they fall into a category of the same. Transmittable and communicable languages. Uh, we were down in South America several years ago. <laughs> and they speak Portuguese. I speak a little Spanish. Como está usted? Como se llama? Cuántos años usted? I know a few phrases after four years. Of course, that was the first year for four years. I liked the third year and the fourth year, they were a little bit better. But we were down there, Diane and I were in a restaurant down there and I was gonna show her that I could communicate with this guy because he spoke Portuguese, but I knew enough Spanish, I thought I could do it. The guy walked over and said, what do you want to eat? Uh, and, uh, or he didn't say, what do you want to eat? He just walked over. And when he got there, I said, uh, I want. <laughs> this really helped me. My, my Spanish really helped me here. Steak, steak. <laughs> I don't know why I started. I said it like that. It's kind of like a Indian, woo, boom, yeah. Uh, steak, steak. I said, filet, filet, beef, beef, beef. And then I was, I was going, beef, beef. <laughs> And I really was proud. I thought I was really doing a good job. (laughs) And the guy sat there and let me go through that whole thing and then he said, how do you want it cooked? (laughs) So I really did communicate. (laughs) You had to speak five languages to to be a waiter in that place. But this is what we're talking about. Understandable languages. And even though I didn't know Portuguese, Spanish is not that far from that. Some of the words, they interplay with each other. So do we understand? Various kinds of tongues rules out any ecstatic gibberish that somebody says they have as a gift and they fit it into 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, some people will say to me, well, Wayne, let me ask you a question. If it's an understandable language, then can you deny my experience that I had when I was praying in my prayer closet? Not on your life. I wasn't there. You say you experienced it. You experienced it. That's good enough for me. But what I am telling you is this. Don't you ever use that to back up the Word of God. You take the Word of God and see, check out your experience. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm not trying to throw rocks at you. I'm not trying to ruin your Christian walk. All I'm trying to do is tell you what he's talking about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 10. And he's not talking about a gibberish. That was what was going on in Corinth, a tongue. This never listed in the singular, it's always listed in the plural and it means families of understandable languages. Now, turn back with me to Matthew chapter 16 and verse 17, where Jesus, in the first time in the New Testament, promises that this is gonna happen one day. Matthew 16, I'm sorry, Mark 16, verse seven, I apologize. Mark 16, got a little head of myself. And by the way, this is a very controversial, very highly disputed passage. If you've ever studied Mark, you understand some more about that. It's found in Mark's gospel, however, in Mark 16, Verse 17, but let me read the context. The Lord Jesus has just resurrected from the grave. He has not yet ascended back to his father. And it says in verse 14 of chapter 16, and afterward he appeared to the 11 themselves as they were reclining at the table. And he reproached them for their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they had not believed those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. A little different than Matthew 28 and He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who have believed. In my name, they'll cast out demons. They will speak with new tongues. They will pick up serpents. And if they drink any deadly poison, it shall not hurt them. They will lay hands on the sick and they will recover. Now the new American standard picks up something here better than the King James version. The King James Version does not put to those who have believed, as it says, but they have put to those who believe. And that's a big, big difference. It says these signs will accompany those who have believed. Verse 17. That's a better translation. New American Standard has an excellent translation there. It is tis pistefsusan. I'm I'm sure you're really excited about that. Which is actually them that have believed. These signs are not going to accompany them who will believe. These signs are going to accompany them who have believed. Now, this was not everyone who is going to believe. No, no, not at all. Matter of fact, who's he talking to? He's talking to his disciples and the apostles. He's saying these things will accompany you as you go on. I'm going back to be with my father. We've already covered much of this ground. This is basically what he's telling them. In other words, if it's not you, you'll be present. It'll be accompanying you. There'll be these things happening around you. Note the phrase. They will speak with new tongues. Now, the word new there is the word kinesis. And kinesis is the idea of qualitatively new. In other words, it's a language you don't have presently. If it was Neos, it'd be the same old language, but you'd just have a different twist to it. (laughs) But this is qualitatively new. This is a language that you don't have right now. You will, he's telling them, speak with languages that you don't have right now. Now, that was a promise by the Lord Jesus Christ. There would be others, perhaps, that would also speak, but you'll be present. They will accompany you. Now, what the Lord actually promised those whom he was sending out, was what was about to happen? Those extraordinary things that were going to happen after he went back to be with the Father. The first fulfillment of Matthew or Mark, rather, sixteen, seventeen, was at Jerusalem at Pentecost. Will you turn to Acts chapter two? It's actually verses four through eleven if you want to study it. But I'm only going to take two verses out of that passage for the sake of time. But Mark chapter, I mean, I'm sorry, Acts chapter two, verses four through eleven. I want to key in on verse four. This is the first, this is Pentecost. This is Pentecost. This is when it happened. This is when the, it's inauguration of the new covenant. We must understand that. They were out of the old covenant. Hebrews 8, 6 says, we are of a better covenant. And that covenant was inaugurated when the Holy Spirit came to live in the lives of believers. And that's what happened. That's what's happening right here. And verse four says, and they were filled. They were all filled. That means each and every one in the whole group. With the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other. Now, guess what that word other is. Remember the word another? Heteros of a different kind. Uh, Languages that they don't normally speak. He said, other tongues, as the Spirit was giving them utterance. If you'll drop down to verse eight of chapter four, you see that what they were speaking was a language that people could understand. In verse eight, it says, and how is it that we each hear them in our own language to which we were or, So when you, when you speak of the tongues that he's talking about here, it's a known, understandable language. The disciples spoke to many nationalities that day, and each one of them heard in their own language. The key was the hearer. You see, that's why we have to continue to drive this point home. They're understandable. Why? Because of the hearers, so that they can comprehend what's being said. This was a temporary enablement of the Holy Spirit because you never find these disciples speaking in those languages at any other time. It was just on this day and for the purpose of communicating the gospel to all those Jews who were present in Jerusalem for that day. The second fulfillment of our Lord's promise was at Caesarea. And this is as the gospel now is spreading out. The outline for Acts is in the first chapter to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And you can see the the Bible, the the book rather, it just kind of extends it all the way through, covers that outline. This involved Gentile believers. Look over in Acts chapter 10. Gentile believers, they were at Caesarea, Maritime, in the home of Cornelius, remember that. Acts chapter 10. No manifestation of this gift had been recorded in the eight years since it had first occurred at Pentecost, not one in any kind of history book, in any kind of Josephus or any of them, it only appears now eight years later. Acts 10, verse 45. It says, And all the circumcised believers who had come with Peter were amazed, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out upon the Gentiles also. For they were hearing them speaking with tongues and exalting God. The Jews were astonished that these Gentile believers that the Spirit had come upon them too. You see, their whole thinking was that the, the gospel was only for the Jews. Paul himself said in Ephesians, it's a mystery to me of salvation that you could be brought near, that, that they were all in the body of Christ. We've made into one brand new person. The language that the Gentiles were speaking must have been understood. And you say, why Wayne, are you reading into the text? No, sir, because there was no, they says they magnified God and there was no interpreter there how could they have known they were magnifying God? You have somebody walk in here, he may have tears in his eyes, speaking another language, but you hadn't got a clue what he's saying unless you understand that language or unless somebody translates that language to you. They knew exactly what was going on. They didn't need an interpreter, they saw what was happening there. They understood that the Spirit had come upon the Gentile world and Jesus had told them it was going to happen that way. The third fulfillment of this historic event of our Lord's promise was at Ephesus. At the, at the home of John the Baptist, to the disciples of John the Baptist, not his home, but to the disciples of John the Baptist. Look in Acts 19 and verse 6. And again, they had to be understandable because there was no interpreter. They would not have known what was going on unless there would have been someone to share with them, or they must have understood what language they spoke. Acts 19 and verse 6. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Spirit came on them and they began speaking with tongues and prophesying. Now, again, we see the gospel now spreading itself out and it's gone from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria and the uttermost parts of the world. You can see more and more people and the evidence is that the new covenant is not just for the Jews. The new covenant is also for the Gentiles. We've been grafted in and the Holy Spirit now lives in believers. It's interesting it happened in Ephesus. It was a cosmopolitan city. It was very important that it happened there because there were so many languages spoke. And also in Caesarea, it was the same exact way. But there was a specific purpose at a specific time already promised by our Lord Jesus Christ that it would take place. And again, we do not find these disciples speaking in other languages at any other time. It's just these three recorded events and Jesus predicted every one of them. This speaking in known languages has to be what Paul is referring to in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 10. Languages that speakers had never learned, but which the Holy Spirit enabled them to speak on occasion. They spoke instantly, though not necessarily as one might continue to speak a language he's learned. They didn't go on speaking that language. Now, I don't know if this story is true or not, but it serves to to give us a good illustration. If somebody knows that it's true and will get me the tape, I'll play it for you or give you the tape but I've heard from so many different sources over and over again that a man was in Poland several years ago. He was preaching to thousands of people and he was preaching through an interpreter. The interpreter was a communist. It was a setup. And when the man got to the blood of Christ, the interpreter turned and spit in his face and walked off that stage, leaving that poor man standing there by himself in the middle of a message with thousands of people sitting in front of him. And as I understand, there's a tape to prove this. The man spoke in 25 more minutes in pure Polish understood everything he said and hundreds of people got saved. Now that's what we're talking about happened at Pentecost. That's what we're talking about happened at Caesarea. That's what we're talking about happened at Ephesus. People speaking in languages other than their own, people, they're hearing them, understanding them and coming to know Christ. Now we must never lose sight of the ground rule of all the gifts he speaks of in chapter 12, all the manifestations. Look in verse seven one more time. Make sure you do not lose sight of this. This is important. It's got to be nailed down in your mind. Verse seven, it says, but to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the what? Now you tell me, what does your translation say? Common good. And that word fair on to bring the body together, to build and to edify the body of Christ. Nobody with any common sense, it defies all comprehension that someone would walk into a group of people like this, stand up and speak in a language nobody else could understand and say they were under the influence of the Holy Spirit of God when not a person in here could be edified by what was said. So again, they are understandable languages, Otherwise, they could not profit the body of Christ. In the case of the Pentecostal experience, there's a tremendous possibility, and nobody has really disproved this, that when the apostles spoke, that they spoke in the language they knew, but the Holy Spirit took that same language and communicated it to the hearers that were there. That is a strong possibility, that it wasn't, for instance, how many dialects were there? And if they just simply spoke the truth of the gospel, it wasn't the speaking, it was the hearing. And over and over again, I'm gonna sound like a broken record this morning. It is not for the benefit of the one speaking. It's for the benefit of the one hearing. And the hearing has got to be understandable. That's the only way the body can be edified, unified and built up. You know, I think a lot of people have just not had the experience enough to understand that if you go to a conference, you ought to come to one of our conferences in Europe. The times that I've been with Bill over there and they've had five different translation booths and you see somebody standing up. and I want to tell you something. This is confusing as anything you've ever heard in your life. If you don't have somebody to make it understandable to your ears. And I hear that all the time. People say, oh, no, it's some mysterious thing. Paul says, no, that's what's going on in Corinth. But what God does is very understandable, has integrity and a lot of intelligence behind it. So this gift has got to be a clear, understandable language. You see, to understand the tongues and to understand why the families of languages are there, you've got to get away from the speaker and take into account the hearer. If you don't do that, then somehow you're getting twisted already in you're thinking, why is it that the gifts of tongues and interpretation of tongues in three lists are found twice together? Once in verse 10 of chapter 12, look in verse 30 of chapter 12. We see it again, they're put right side by side. Why would you need to interpret something if it's not necessary you understand what you said? Say, again, the understanding has gotta be there or it doesn't qualify. It says in verse 30, all do not have gifts of healings, do they? All do not speak with tongues, do they? Hey, look here. All do not interpret, do they? You see, if the listener cannot understand you, do you realize what they think about you? They think you've lost your mind and gone mad. Look over in chapter 14 and verse 23. And I don't like to get too much into 14 because it's gonna be, that's where you're gonna see what we, where the problem of tongues is in Corinth. Not in 12, but in 14. But look over in chapter 14 and verse 23 just for an understanding of when people would start speaking in, in different ecstatic languages and nobody's interpreting what it looks like. By the way, it's not a sign for believers, it's a sign for unbelievers. If therefore the whole church should assemble together and all speak in tongues and ungifted men or unbelievers enter, will they not say you are mad? (laughs) Looked up the word mad in the Greek. You know what that word is? It's the word we get the word maniac from. (laughs) And what he's saying is, do you realize how stupid this is? If you got in here and started speaking in some ecstatic tongue, which evidently was going on, he said, unbelievers will come in here and think you've lost your mind, that you're a bunch of maniacs. That's what he said. No, no, what God does is understandable. And if you can't understand it, somebody's there to translate it so that you can. It's in a family of known understandable languages. Now to further underscore, that these tongues have got to be understandable languages is in the very thing that he gives the next manifestation, which is the interpretation of tongues. Now I want to tell you something, folks. What the world has done to this interpretation of tongues is the same thing they did in Corinth in the oracles of Delphi. They're saying that somebody can literally interpret the gibberish and unknowledgeable words that somebody's saying and actually bring a message. That's what they were doing in Corinth. And I mean, Delphine, that was sick. But the word interpretation is not what you think it is. The word for interpret is simply the word hermeneia. Guess what word we get out of that? Hermeneutics. And when a hermeneutics is what? The, the art of properly translation or interpreting scripture. That's what the word actually means. So in other words, if you've got somebody speaking in a known understandable language, but you're sitting there and don't know what that language is, Somebody, even if it's only the Holy Spirit, which was at Pentecost, somebody's got to translate what has been said so that you can understand. It's just to further underscore that these are understandable languages. Look at John chapter 1 and verse 38. I want to show you where it's translated other places just so you'll see what I'm talking about. It's taking something from one language, whether written or spoken, and putting it into another language so that they can understand it. Doesn't matter if it's spoken or not. It's actually the gift of translation, not the gift of interpretation. That kind of throws you, hermeneia, is more the idea of translation. John chapter one, verse 38. And I think it's pretty clear what the word means here. Verse 38, and Jesus turned and beheld them following and said to them, what do you seek? And they said to him, Rabbi, now watch this. In parentheses, look what it says. And this is in the Greek, it's right there. Which translated from what? From Hebrew to Greek means teacher, where are you staying? That's the word Hermeneia. Look down at verse 41 of John chapter one. We find the word Hermeneia again. Verse 41 of chapter one. He found first his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, in parentheses, which translated means Christ. One more time, Hebrew to Greek. Look at uh, verse 42 of chapter one. It says, he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which is translated Peter. They see what's happening here from one language to another so that this person can understand what this person has said or written. Look in John chapter nine and verse seven. John chapter nine and verse seven. And I'm breaking right into the middle of a sentence because really I'm not context, I'm not interested in. I'm just interested to show you how the word is used. And it says in verse seven, and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam. That's the Lord Jesus speaking. In parentheses, which is translated sent. End of parentheses there. So evidently in the Corinthian church, from what we can gather from 1 Corinthians chapter 14, anyone could get up at any time, called for the singing of a psalm they could teach, proclaim a revelation or speak, and you'll see this in chapter 14 in a, not several but in a, or an unknown tongue anybody could do that and nobody was checking anybody as to whether or not this was truly of the spirit of God and nobody understood a thing that they were saying, and you'll see all this unravel as we get to chapter 14 their unknown tongue in Corinth stood on its own ground as a language. Nobody knew it, nobody had ever heard it, nobody had ever spoken it, it stood on its own. It was just like the oracles of Delphi, it was just a bunch of gibberish that nobody seemed to understand and yet they said it was a message from God himself. This is why I think Paul adds the gift of interpretation or translation so that from one language it can be brought over into another language. And I'll tell you what, I was preaching over there in Romania at Second Baptist Church in Oradea under communism. <laughs> and Costel Oglice was translated. That's the best translator I've ever worked with in my life. I don't know if Costel's here or not, but he is. I'll put a feather in his cap. That's, he has the gift of translation. One of the things you learn when you go overseas is some people know the language, but very few people know the language and the message. That's where the comes, that's the gift. Anybody can take a language to another language if they just simply know both languages, but that's not it. I've had translators over there that knew English, but didn't have a clue about the message that I was teaching. But with Costell, you never miss a beat. Dinah has told me when we've been preaching together, she said, Wayne, it's like one person's preaching, even though there are two voices. Costell gets more excited about it than I do. He gets animated. He gets into it. Man, I get into it. He just gets twice as into it. And I was preaching along and I said, you know, some people, and I forgot where I was. I was so comfortable with him, I wasn't really worried about what I was saying. I knew he knew the message and I knew he could take what I was saying and put it in their language so they could understand. And I said, you know, some people are like mugwumps. <laughs> now here I am, I'm in Romania. The mugwump. <laughs> and I said, a mugwump's a bird. It sits on a fence with his mug on one side and his wump on the other. And I kept right on going. And the, but then the thought hit me, I wonder how he's doing that. How's he taking that and putting it in the Romanian? this is going to be interesting. After it was over, Mia was just laughing. And she came up and she said, I thought, you, I thought you had him on that one. But she said, he never mentioned Mugwump. He jumped in the Old Testament and proved out the very thing that you were trying to say through an instance of a man couldn't decide this way or that way in the choices that he was making. And she said, Wayne, he never missed a beat. He was right with you. He took your language, put it into their language and the message was brought home. That's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, folks. Anything else you want to jam into it will not fit because these gifts have to edify, they have to unify, and they have to bring together the body of Christ. Matter of fact, in chapter 14, he's saying, when you speak in a tongue, you do not edify others. You edify yourself. That is your huge difference here. Whatever experience that's happening, whatever's going on, Somebody says, Wayne, are you going to get mad at me if I disagree with you and have these experiences in my quiet time? No. My goodness. I hope I've been here long enough to let you know that I love you no matter where we differ or not. I wouldn't have been here 17 years if I didn't feel that way. But I do want to tell you something. You can do whatever you want to do in your prayer closet. I don't really care. You can speak in Hebrew backwards. You can stack BB. I don't care what you do. But now here's where I'm going to get a little bit upset. If somebody brings whatever you do in that prayer closet into this body of Christ and you tell somebody in this body of Christ that they need that because they didn't get everything when they got Jesus and they have to have this as, a, as some kind of signal that the Holy Spirit of God is really using their life, I'm not only gonna embarrass you in this church, I'm gonna embarrass you publicly right in here because I want people to know the people that are causing division in this church. And as long as we understand that, we can live together. But I guarantee you one thing, just because I said that very word, there are people in here that will divide this church over their gift because they're not connected to the giver. They're connected to the sensual, fleshly gift that they have. And if they don't have that feeling when they pray, they don't think they've somehow gotten in touch with God. Well, I hope you've been coming on Sunday nights. I doubt if Job had much feeling when he got in touch with God. I've you walked through those characters in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit of God didn't even live with them, in them. it lived with them. And that's the difference of the covenant that we're in. And I'll tell you what. They stagger my imagination as the way they lived, honoring God with no feelings and with no answers. Just believing God and doing it His way. So I'm not going to get angry. I mean... We can write the letters and have the discussions. That's all right. You're my brother and sister in Christ. It's Jesus that draws us together, not our differences of opinion on what you say you have as a gift. But I'll tell you this if you're going to try to put that gift in whatever you think is a gift, and it's an ecstatic language, you've never known what you've said, but you believe somehow that there's something going on there, whatever you're doing, don't you dare try to put it in 1 Corinthians 12 10. It won't fit. It won't fit wherever you're going to put it, find some hesitations. I don't know, just find someplace else to park it, but it won't fit there. Oh man, you know, I feel like sometimes I'm out in the middle of a road with a flare trying to warn people that if you don't connect up with the the giver, you're going to get hung up in the gifts. That's all I know to do. That's all I know to do. I'm not going to fight anybody. I'm not going to be so embarrassed because you disagree but come let us reason together. What is he talking about? And thus saith the word of God. First Corinthians 12, 10 says, it's an understandable family of languages. And the interesting thing is verse seven says, it doesn't even qualify unless it edifies and builds up the body of Christ. So to bring it to a close this morning, that's all I wanted to do. When I started studying this, I said, you know, I'm not gonna go too far because I'm going to confuse myself and you too. Let's just stay let's very clear. Let's just take it step at a time. The gifts or the manifestation of tongues, families of length, kinds of tongues, families of known communicable languages. And to make sure that you understand it needs to be understood. And to some, the interpretation of tongues, the translation of tongues. Why would it need to be translated? because people need to hear. If God's doing it, He wants these people to under, to understand. Well, when we went to Chernofsky, Russia, years ago, Kostel and Mia, this clock up here drives me nuts. It's just coming down to 0000, zero, zero, zero which means sh- shut up, you're through. But when we went to Chernofsky, Russia, years ago, I'd never been there, never been to Russia, never really had a burden to go, but God did move upon us to take it into the Romanian speaking people of, the, of Russia and we won't go into Chernofsky. The border, the, the, the things had just opened up within a few months and I want to tell you something, even though they were free, they weren't free. We got stopped every mile, every two miles, had to find check passports and everything, constantly they were right on our backs and we could have gone to where we were going in six hours from where we crossed the border to where it was, Chernofsky is right here. They made us go all the way to Lviv, come all the way back down 36 hours, three days in a van 106 degree weather, no air conditioning, and just hot. I stayed in one room one night that it was so little that I had to pull the dresser over and lay my feet up on top of it to stretch out. That's how small the room was. Bathrooms were down the hall. That's so exciting when you stay in places like that. We got to Chernofsky. It didn't have any contacts, but we just knew that we wanted to get some contacts there to, to teach people how to study the Word of God. We got there, and we, as we went in the parking lot, a lady walked up and said, Can I buy some soap? In, in Romanian, or can we buy some soap brother? She was selling at Costel in Romanian said, all right, we'll buy some soap if you'll answer a question. She said, what question? He said, where are the Christians here? She said, oh, the Greek Orthodox Church is right down the road. He says, um, no, where are the Baptists here? And she said, what are Baptists? <laughs> I thought I died and gone to heaven, there was one of them. And then he said, well, he had heard this word. He said, where are the repenters? And she said, repenters. She stepped back and <laughs> on the ground. She said, you're not one of those, are you? He said, we sure are. We've come all the way from America to teach people the word of God. She said, well, you bought my soap. They're 14 miles down the road in a little village and they meet in a house church. Thank you. She walked on. I, of course, I'm sitting there in La La and I don't know what's been said. They tell me what's going on. So next morning we get up, we go down to the, the Greek Orthodox Church to see if they'll tell us where we didn't really believe her. And they wouldn't help us. So we said, well, that's all we've got. So we went 14 kilometers to this little village. We got there and these men were standing out there smoking and drinking and we stopped and, and Costell asked them where the repenters were and they did the same thing, laughed and spit and said, the repenters? And one guy said, well, I'll take you if you pay me. We had all kinds of coffee, kind of bribed them a little bit there. We gave him some coffee and he got in the car and he, when we got near the house where they met, he said, let me out of here. He said, uh, I gotta get out. I'm not going wanna be seen around these people. So we drove up to the gate and honked the horn a man came out and when he opened up the gate. Isn't it amazing? You don't have to know their name. You don't have to know their language. If they know Jesus and you know Jesus, then you know each other. I'm telling you, the life of Jesus was all over this man. He let us in. Boy, it was just beamed at the difference in him and those other people we'd seen. Walked inside a Pentecostal church, a little house church, <laughs> and we walked inside. When we got inside, the man said, would you mind preaching today? I didn't really think we, anybody was gonna preach. I thought we were just making contacts I said, absolutely. Costell jumped up. I jumped up. and I took James chapter one, two through four. Count it all joy, brother, when you encounter various trials. Costell taking it from my language to their language. How beautiful it was to watch the faces of those people hearing my words, not understanding them. Then hearing Costell's words and understanding them and the light that was coming on inside of them. And when I finished, I sat down. A man, 85 years old, he's dead now. He stood up, tears running down his face. And he started speaking in his Romanian language. And he's holding his hands up. And I asked Costell, what is he saying? He's saying, oh God, thank you. Now I can die. I've prayed for 25 years that somebody would come from America and teach me the word of God. He said, I feel like now I'm ready to go on and be with my Lord. And I want to tell you something, folks. I could have stood in that room. I could have beat my head up against the side of the wall. I could have said everything I wanted to say and it would not have edified anybody had I not had Costell who translated it from English to Romanian so an 85-year-old man could absolutely have a spell praising the Lord Jesus Christ. That's 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. Whatever else you do, whatever other experience you have, it will not fit 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 10. For additional resources, log on to jashow.org. That's jashow.org.